0: Good morning, good afternoon, whenever you are listening. I'm so excited for today because it's going to be the most uncomfortable conversation I'm going to have, and I'm excited about that. Um, Please welcome, Just Ask Jenny, Jenny J. Hello, hello, hello. Introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Jenny J.
2: I am a photographer and a videographer, but visually speaking, since you're only hearing my voice, I am a South Asian woman. I am an activist and I am so excited for how beautifully uncomfortable this conversation is going to be.
0: It's going to be so uncomfortable. (laughs) I've already been uncomfortable. I like sweating a little bit. So here's the thing. If you listen back on episode four, three, four, when I talked to Kenzie Brenna, I talked a little bit about how I was trying to be more intentional about getting uncomfortable, having conversations around things that I didn't fully understand and allowing myself to be scared in a space in the air of learning. Because I think that as somebody who is a white woman of privilege in a thin identifying body, it is really, really difficult to suddenly start asking or talking about race at all because We've seen it time and time again that people just get it wrong and then there's backlash for that. And I've sat in fear for so long and I'm, I'm done with that because I want to have the conversations. I want to learn. I want us to all feel a little bit more comfortable with getting uncomfortable. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. So- I'm so excited. How I met Jenny. I love always telling. Like, so far, like my podcasts have been like. So I met this person on a plane, and so I met this person here, and like one time I ran into them in the street. You were actually something totally different. You were running. Um, you were being. You were the videographer for yes. a Toronto Business Babes event. Yes. And we, I was hosting this small like fireside chat type thing with about twenty women going around the room introducing ourselves, and we took a moment for um, both the photographer and the videographer yourself to like introduce yourself as well. And you were so well spoken, and and it was awesome to kind of hear you. But then the conversation shifted a little bit at some point, and one of the women asked a question, saying about how they'd been accused of something uh, like racism, but it wasn't her intention. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. And you stepped away from your camera and you came in and you just started truth bombing the hell out of that moment in the best way possible. And ever since then, I was like, if I'm going to have an uncomfortable conversation about this, this is the person I'm going to do it with. Amazing. It well, was so
2: good. It was, I think, necessary. And like, in all honesty, my heart is pounding a little bit. Of course. Um, but my heart is pounding in the same way that it was pounding in that moment because for me listening in on a conversation where a lot of the women in a room are white women talking about race and just knowing that there is so much to be done and so many voices still not on the table and Mm. there needs to be someone or people that are open to having that discussion and dialogue and it is so scary sometimes as a person of color to speak up and not every person of color is going to do it. Not everyone has the energy to do it. Not everyone has the space or capacity. Um, so even in that room, being able to like say, hey, like, it's not that you're being accused of racism, mm-hmm. but have you maybe thought about it from this perspective? And like, where actually are the people of color, and why are they
0: not in this room? exactly and i think that that's kind of one of the key factors that i appreciate so much and i also appreciate that you said that not everybody has the capacity to talk about these things Mm -hmm. i deal with a lot of anxiety and sometimes when it comes to anything in the political field Mm -hmm. i can't step into it because the second there's like a debate or a conversation in that in that realm I get so out of focus and I and I get like really really anxious and suddenly mm-hmm. I'm in bed for a day and I'm going I tried like I'm trying to use my platform I'm trying to do use my voice and do these things and somehow I'm just scared and I'm shelling up and I'm moving away from it but I think what you're doing so well and what you did in that moment so well was you just kind of gave some grace to what everybody was feeling which we're really uncomfortable and mm-hmm. you're just like that's okay here's just something to think about it mean that you suddenly become an activist mm-hmm. doesn't mean all these things it just maybe means that you start thinking a little bit differently and that might be the stepping stone and the relaxation moment that we all need because i i don't think that we can all be activists i don't think that Absolutely. it's in us to be all that way um but i think it's really really important to listen to those who are and to learn like just just take a moment lean in learn have conversations come away with maybe a little bit more knowledge that's going to empower your next conversation that you might have or that next time that you see something on social media that you're able to you know tap into it a little bit more you can't see me but i'm nodding you're nodding (laughs) i'm nodding i'm nodding in agreement absolutely oh my gosh okay so this is going to be like the whitest question i'm going to ask you amazing but you're wearing a gem on your forehead can you explain that for me because i bet girls all the time come up to you and like, what is this? Is this like, do they just assume your religion or assume your culture because of what you're have on, like adorned on your forehead? Um,
2: they do. A lot of people assume I'm Indian, which I'm not. My background is actually Sri Lankan, uh, which also has a lot of political political weight to yes. it. Um, so I am half Tamil, half Sinhalese by, by culture and by race. Um, and the Bindi, or the potu, known in my culture, is something that I adorn daily mm-hmm. um, and it is, at its root, uh, something that protects your sixth chakra, so your energy, and it is uh, something that is both cultural and religious, but I wear it culturally.
0: I love that. I've just learned a little bit about chakras and it scared the heck out of me. I'm sounding like everything scares me, which is not that <laughs> far from the truth. But I went to um, my—I have a friend who works in holistic nutrition, and and I had talked to her about some of my gut issues and all this stuff. And she was like, "Girl, like your chakra that you know you're struggling with it. I think it's very aligned with like your stomach is like stress." And I was yeah. like, "Damn it!" But it, it, now that I'm starting to learn a little bit more about them and understanding that like there's a lot of sense that comes to them, it's so cool. So thank you for explaining that because I wanted to ask that question and I was gonna wait. until the podcast so you can fully explain it. But okay, so I've written down some questions here because I really knew that my brain was going to get really foggy during this. But one of the things that you know, we're all coming back to again and again is that we're scared to talk about these subjects. We are Mm -hmm. so scared about getting it wrong, like talking about race, talking about, you know, gender equality or, you know, women empowerment, even like feminism can be like this thing that we're so scared to talk about because we're so fearful of that blowback. How can we continue the conversation in your opinion? How do we empower those? Even, even if somebody is in the realm of privilege or not, how can we, continue the conversation to empower them to use it, to use their voice? So I'm going to start off with this
2: like huge disclaimer. <clears throat> the first disclaimer is um, that my background in education is not uh, feminism or women's studies, um, and that I actually credit a lot of my education and all of this to the Black women that have been around me uh, when I was in university, who knew so much more and pushed the boundaries of what I knew. Um, So, first disclaimer is that I give them that credit, and I also really want to acknowledge all of the uh, black folk, whether they are trans, whether they are women, and indigenous folks who have been the roots behind these discussions. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the only reason we are here sitting in a room being able to really openly talk about it is because of the work that they might have done uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago that has really started and sparked all these moments. So that's my first disclaimer. Love it. the second thing is that in the year of 2019, 2020, 2021, whatever year you're listening all the way back through Sarah Nicole's he podcast, <laughs> um, whatever the year is in this day and age, Google is free 99. So um, when it comes to starting and sparking these dis- discussions, I think a lot of folk uh, feel like curiosity is okay, and therefore they have the rights to be curious. Um, And if they are curious, uh, we've been taught we can ask questions. Mm -hmm. The problem becomes when that curiosity and questioning almost um, infringes on someone's rights to their personal lives Mm -hmm. and makes assumptions of them. So because you're allowed to be curious and ask questions, I think a great place to always start is Googling.
0: Okay. I love that. Cause honestly, like just recently I've been hearing a lot of people using things like cisgendered or this Mm -hmm. or that. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like Mm. time to get educated, time to understand like all of these different, you know, outlets that are terminology that we're starting to hear. And instead of just making assumptions, instead of just even in the realm of like eating disorders, it's Mm -hmm. no longer, I think now we're getting to the age where we're like, okay, we understand now that it's not just, you know, a thin malnourished white woman that suffers from an eating disorder it can be anybody in any body and they could still be suffering the same um, but there's still coming back to the race thing you know we live in a do you live in Toronto? No, you're outside of Toronto.
2: I am based in Toronto you're but based in Toronto. I am now outside of Toronto. So, ba-
0: okay first of all that is Toronto sound <laughs> for you. If you can hear that sound in the background it's a very annoying construction track and I'm so sorry there's nothing we can do about it. Um Toronto is a very multicultural city and yes. like Canada is a very multicultural nation. Is it a nation or is it a country? Nation. Is Entry. it a nation? Yeah. Okay. I failed geography, so, so I don't know. <laughs> but like we, we still, we're a multicultural country, but there's still racial issues here. Yes. And I think that's hard as a Canadian to say because we often feel like it's not a thing here. Mm-hmm. We're free from that, but it still is. So what I
2: think that a lot of people forget is, it's not that Toronto, uh, that Canada is a multicultural country. It's that Toronto is a very multiculturally diverse city. Mm-hmm. Same with Vancouver. Yep. And Montreal. Yep. That's where I'll leave that. Yeah. So when we go outside into the suburbs of of Canada, and when mm-hmm. we go into the smaller towns, mm-hmm. there is a lot less racial diversity because racialized folks often find more comfort in being where other racialized folks are. So they centralize around those major cities. So the Greater Toronto Area is very racially diverse. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing and so I think one of the things that we are taught in Canada in public school is oh you know we're so culturally diverse. Ninety-eight percent of our population are immigrants. Like whatever that was like a statistics from grade five geography. I don't know if that's
1: like, still yes. accurate. <laughs> um,
2: and then when you really think about it, it's only because like the majority of Canadians are like folks that came here and so land. But um, yeah, <laughs> like we are hard truths. Hard <laughs> truths. Hard truths. Like, oh. um, but I think that we get told so often that we're so multicultural. It's mm-hmm. almost like. uh a statement of so so it's okay if there's a little bit of racism like it's almost like but we're so multicultural. it's like that statement of like but i have a black friend so it's fine yeah and and that's not the case and until we start to realize that um the the first i I was like googling the definition of white feminism because i really wanted to talk about that um and one of the first things is to acknowledge that even though you might not see it is that it's there and just knowing that you can walk into things and say i might not have experienced it i might not have friends who have experienced it because of where i live Mm -hmm. but it exists in this country and there are people who deal with the implications of that every single day is i think the first step to reframing the way you look at the world and understand what equality for race can look
0: like i think that's a very compassionate um response to that i think that i live in a smaller town so it's not as diverse Mm -hmm. and we've seen a lot of i've even just heard like little snide remarks or even a story in the news of like somebody who came and took refuge here in canada and you know struggled to get a job struggled to like even you know have respect on the streets Mm -hmm. all of these things that i was like why is this news like why in 2019 Mm -hmm. are we having it news that people who came and took are refugees from a war Uh, ridding country who come Mm -hmm. here to be safe and to bring their families and you know start a new life here are they Mm -hmm. having like slurs in the street or being told that they're not welcome or that you know the government isn't spending their money correctly there and it's just like how, how how did we get here as people I think what it is
2: is that as people and this is this is For full disclaimer, this is a very, like you said, a compassionate way of seeing it. And I know there are other activists who would be a lot harsher probably with their words. Um, The way that I see it is that people as people don't like change. Mm. And so when people as people see their entire lives maybe a certain way, Mm -hmm. and then different communities who look different than them come in, and um, it might be as simple as someone gets laid off somewhere and then other communities are taking jobs. It feels like a personal attack. And For something sure. that is so important in that mindset is to know that it is not a personal attack that you know folks of color or marginalized folks in whatever way are starting to be seen. Mm. But it does feel like change. And a lot of people are really uncomfortable with that idea of change. I know that there are people who genuinely get Angry um, that there is so much diversity now on screens. I've I've had conversations with folks who have been like, oh, but it didn't used to be that way. Why are they complaining now? Like, why does it matter now? Like they were fine with it for so long.
0: Right. And it's
2: and it's Like it's really awful to hear that. And you think that you know that's not um, how it should be. But it doesn't remove that there are people who feel that way. And for it sure. Doesn't remove that there are people who are really angry that so much is changing so fast.
0: I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think that fear ends up being the root of a lot of the you know, the problems of society, the hiccups that I think we often Mm -hmm. have and why people who are living with less privilege are forced into these like activist type things. And they come across as angry Mm -hmm. because they should be, they should Mm -hmm. be angry. And I, and you have to give compassion to that. And then when you witness somebody who is of privilege, speaking about that, they're not just doing it so they can give themselves a pat on the back and move on. They're doing it because they fully understand that like privilege means that you're going to be listened to Mm -hmm. more than somebody who, lives with less privilege and that's kind of where like I've been struggling and being challenged by in the last little while is Mm -hmm. I don't fully understand this I don't get it I've had blinders on and I need to admit that because if it didn't uh, when I read like the definition one of the definitions of privilege and it said something like if it's not a problem for you it becomes it's like you're privileged yeah and that's like you know, such an eye-opener eye because you hear about all these things and there become these battles about like what lives matter and stuff like that. And it's like at the same time, can we just strip it back to like some people are literally fighting for their lives right now. Mm-hmm. They're fighting for the right to be loved. They're fighting for this. They're fighting for that. And we just get to freely do it. So yes, it is uncomfortable to have these conversations. However... If it can help just one more person to walk freely, if we can look like five years down the road, ten years, thirty years, whatever it is, and understand that like society is changing because of these uncomfortable conversations that we're having, mm-hmm. I think that that's a win. I think that's such a win. And you know, we're still going to get it a lot wrong. There's times that we're going to get it a hundred percent wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's where I think it's really important too. One of the one of the best things that I've ever had have experienced was any time that I've said something that was a little bit accidentally wrong. So Mm -hmm. for instance, using the word tribe. I saw that. I'm so glad you don't use it anymore. I didn't, I, I don't remember when I did, but I know that I have for sure. Mm-hmm. I remember one time talking about being a single mom. And when I was getting remarried, I remember saying something about like, these women were my tribe. And I meant it in the sense that like, they were my community. These were like mm-hmm. my people. And we hear this word as like a buzzword. And then one person said to me recently, in the kindest way, you really shouldn't use that word. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, thank you for saying that. Like, first of all, not offended. Like, I, I think there's two ways to approach when something like that happens and you see something like that and you're just like, just a reminder, like that that actually could offend some people or that actually hurt someone's feelings. I was slightly mortified because I was like, damn it, I'm trying so hard. And of mm-hmm. course, I say this like one word and it's being taken the wrong way. Like, I wish people just like, saw my heart but at the same time I'm like no 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 like it's not for other people to like fix it's for me to fix it's for me to like stop using that language Mm -hmm. because I'm now aware so
2: that's a great segue because um I think this is an argument discussion let's say I have a passionate discussion a passionate (laughs) heated usually (laughs) discussion that I have with a lot of people and um it's the discussion about people are too sensitive Mm. And that they're just words and my answer to that is that words are activism and that's the way that I look at look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Language is so so powerful. Mm -hmm. The words that we decide to use to speak whatever it is we are trying to speak, like every single word makes a difference Mm -hmm. and so when we are creating this list of words that you just shouldn't say it's not about looking at the list memorizing the list and just being like okay like i guess those are the no words now like that's what's in can't say it or i'll be written off it's not about that it's about reframing the way you look at every one of these words and seeing the impact choosing to use them or not choosing to use them Mm. have um as said Definitely, in my lifetime, so many words that I didn't even realize were problematic, right? Yeah. Um, but there are in, when there are enough people saying that this is why you shouldn't use a word, that's when we fully start to write it out of our vocabulary. In sure. this, in this like day and age, um, there are, in my opinion, significantly less folks who are not black using the N-word than maybe 10 years ago
0: okay yeah but that's it's because,
2: so true yeah and it's because so many people were loud about why it's so important that mm-hmm. this word has so much weight yes. and how we use it makes a huge impact and affects people's lives and it's not just a word
0: it literally used to be a children's rhyme like it, let's remember like eeny meeny miny moe was yep. not catch a tigger it was the n-word yeah so children grew up Little like white kids were growing (laughs) up singing songs about catching a black child by its toe as a slave and we made it into a children's jingle. So now I didn't grow up with it being that song. I didn't even know that it was the different version Mm -hmm. from all that time. So yes, language matters. The fact that like that even shifted and we no longer like sing jingles about you know people being captured into slavery anymore. Yeah. I mean, is, is, is value. Like we can see that we can see that there has been change. There has been a lot of change. It's just that the change isn't, it doesn't stop at a certain spot at a certain point right we're mm. constantly learning we're constantly students of life we constantly have opportunity to improve upon ourselves Absolutely. and as much as it can be hard especially somebody um who kind of is in this space where i'm constantly put pressure on like you have influence like please use it please do this you have a platform like be sensitive and i'm like i can't get everything right i'm not even kidding the other day i said i was buying almond milk and someone was like please stop saying that you're using almond milk the way it's produced uses so much water and i'm like i am suffocating <laughs> trying to get (laughs) everything right and it and it can feel that way yeah but when people approach it and and maybe you can speak to how when you see or hear a term is a great way to bring up the discussion in a way with that's like grace-filled and compassionate and because honestly I think anytime you're being told something is potentially wrong or potentially um, upsetting, it triggers our defensiveness. Mm-hmm. It, def- it triggers this mode inside of us that says, I have the right to tell you why I didn't mean that or why it was this. And I'm really settling into, again, the uncomfortable feeling of, oh my gosh, I was wrong and I need to own this. And this is going to be a trajectory of change for me. So I'm going to take this opportunity to be thankful for it, to be thankful for my wrongness because it's mm-hmm. actually going to make me a better person moving forward but nobody really like some people really get it wrong some people are just straight up offensive mm-hmm. you know had that person you know to be honest the person that said it to me with the almond milk like she wasn't even rude about it but it just like reminded me of like oh my gosh there's really just a lot of things that we could get wrong here Yeah. Um, but it's all in this like grace filled approach and I think that you have even in speaking to you in, in a couple of times you've done it in such a way that makes people feel like heard and empowered and not accusatory because mm-hmm. I think you understand that like most people don't mean to be offensive. They're not out there trying to be racist or trying to be offensive. It's like these accidental things that have happened because society made it okay for so long and now we're going, actually, like, ooh, let's, like, reopen that door Mm -hmm. and let's, like, talk about this. So what advice would you give when somebody is seeing, witnessing, experiencing something that they know they could potentially challenge? And how do you do it in the right way? So I think
2: that it begins with Asking the right question. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I can if I can use this as a as a live demo. Of course. <clears throat> um, you use the term boss bait sometimes. Yeah. What does that mean to you?
0: So it's funny that you bring that up because now I'm like. I have to stop using that because someone recently made this whole comment about the fact that like, we don't call men like boss babes or a boss dude and boss mm-hmm. like woman. Like we have to start shedding that. But in the beginning, it made me feel like, yeah, like I'm both, I'm both like a boss and I'm like a babe and I'm like hustling and I can make money. I can do this. So anyways, finish your question. <laughs> no, good example. But great. yeah, no, no, no.
2: Um. So... Have you ever considered that not all women maybe identify as babes?
0: For sure. Yeah, but you don't even think I also it's it's funny because not everyone maybe feels that, but I feel like everyone's their babe in their own right. So mm-hmm. I can see how me saying it would be thinking it's empowering. Mm-hmm. But it's not for everyone, right?
2: So I mean
0: I'm like looking at you like, huh? <laughs> am, I,
2: am I getting it right? I I feel like So I think boss babe is difficult because some people call everyone babe and it's not a gendered term. Yeah. But at the end of it, it is not only a term that is specifically gendered because Mm -hmm. we can't take that away. Um, But this idea around the boss babe, let's call it the boss babe branding.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm going to pull up something as you're, like, explaining this. So
2: Boss Babe branding is what I feel is one of the best parallels or visual examples of what white feminism looks like. Yeah. And white feminism, just to be clear, is not just if you are a white and a feminist. Right. White feminism is the understanding or the, the idea that everything is simply based on gender mm-hmm. that um gender inequality is the same for both men and women it is also fig- often um excluding the lgbtq plus community mm-hmm. so it is uh, removing trans women
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's often very trans exclusionary so mm-hmm. when you see things like pardon my language but like pussy power or mm-hmm. like vaginas everywhere yep it is very trans exclusionary because it's um, it's correlating womanhood with the physical body parts as well.
0: Okay. So
2: there, there is a lot in that when you're looking at like trans-exclusionary radical feminism. That's a term you can Google, turf okay. feminism. Um, and, and all of this branding and language around like feminism for a very long time has been really, really beneficial for white executive white women Mm -hmm. executives Mm -hmm. and white women in entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of these spaces still profit off of is in pushing that demographic forward and it's a language like boss babe and all of that that continues to market towards really pushing and propelling those folks who Mm -hmm. are women forward and forgetting that there are um marginalized folks for race yes for sexuality for um, ability or disability like whatever that is for different lines of class
0: yes and so i think it's really this is a great time if you were somebody who's listening and you're like i have no idea that doesn't even really make sense to me go and take a moment and look about like the equal pay charts Mm -hmm. and it it, we often compare it like female to male Mm -hmm. but when I actually I watched this thing on Netflix and they were explaining the equality thing in the workplace and it ranked race in with it and Mm -hmm. my eyes were like bulging I could not believe what I was seeing because it actually went Asian women then Mm -hmm. white women and then it was like then take half of that pay and then give it to like Hispanic women of color like all different like they were making so little it was like we we're fighting we're a lot of times we're only making like 75 percent of what men make and then there's people who are like hey I'm only making a third of that and so when we talk about it and we use that language like I you're so right and and it's so cool to hear because it's like one of those things that, you know, you learn about it and then you kind of just like move on. You keep using this terminology. Mm-hmm. There is this one woman um, recently, Elvetica Design. Um, she's in my hometown and she did this mini series on, you know, the, the female words that we use in work and in careers and then the male terminology to counter it and how mm-hmm. weird that would be. So I can show you, but it's this picture of Bill Gates and he's holding up a sign that says dadpreneur. And she wrote, I'm adding to the list of monikers for women in business. Why identify these entrepreneurs as moms? And though I'm sure it's once fed by empowerment, I can't help but feel it undermines us. I've never heard Bill Gates referred to as a dadpreneur. Let's just call us entrepreneurs, okay? And then she again went on to show um, uh, Steve Jobs. And she was like, she said, am I, o- am I the only one tired of the girl boss phrase? Firstly, we rarely apply to actual girls we use it when we are talking about women secondly why are we attaching gender to it anyways i can't imagine anyone referring to steve jobs as a boy boss much less have him proudly hang that title on his office in a baby blue color background in gold what i think started out as a message of empowerment again trended quickly on social media and has now become part of our vocabulary but when when can we let go of this we would never say girl engineer girl professor girl law- lawyer let's just drop the gender and be proud of everybody's successes let's just call us boss and i was like oh like again these like moments of society like again Warren Buffett would we call him a boss babe no we wouldn't Mm -hmm. so we've done these things that yes they started off and I I don't want anybody to be discouraged if you're somebody who uses terminology or is part of your branding or anything like that because I think that uh, a lot of us have been so empowered by this like I can be a woman and be a boss I can be a mom and an entrepreneur these are Mm -hmm. empowering things because we talked ourselves out of them we put ourselves in boxes for so many years but now let's break out of that box Let's, let's Let's break it down a little bit more and say you know what also I don't deserve to be put in a boss where my gender or my marital status or my you know whether or not I'm a mom becomes like a piece of empowerment to this I'm a boss I'm an entrepreneur I'm doing these things I am a human worthy of respect and when you bring in the transgender community or the LGBTQ community then it's like oh my gosh and how important would it be for them too Mm -hmm. I mean there's so many layers to these things so if you're somebody who's listening and you're like holy crap like I'm on layer one of this totally fine like just it's totally fine you're listening right now and you're you're understanding this is not to shame induce anything this is to start a dialogue and to start an awareness something that I didn't have six months ago about like a million things and now I'm slowly it just makes me a better and I think it makes everybody a better support person mm-hmm. a better conversationalist somebody who you know even the way I talked about this again on the Kenzie Brennan episode but just taking time to hear the stories of those who are in different bodies different color different societies different cultures taking a moment to get to know them because if we want to truly be humans that make an impact and that are like grace filled and you know impact makers we have to understand what that looks like across the board we have to understand who the audience is in a full entirety not just this one group that happens to look like us go to the same type of areas shop in the same types of mm-hmm. stores there are so many layers to it that I think them it's not about being overly sensitive it's just about being sensitive
2: yeah and it's about just creating space that i mean i think we've done a really good job of starting to create space for folks who identify as women
1: Mm -hmm. but
2: not all of those spaces are created for all women alike Yes, and it's about create like just even understanding that Mm. and you know when you're looking around at the events you go to actually looking around and being like well what kind of folks are here yes are there all are they only folks that look like me? Yes. And why are other people not invited? Why do other people not feel safe here? Why mm-hmm. do other people not feel welcome here? I'm gonna read another caption too, just I love to it. really ring off that. Um, Katie, the copywriter, she's one of my favorite humans. She is a ethical copy and sales expert.
0: Oh, cool. And right? So great about the terminology of things. Amazing. Okay. She, she's,
2: she's, in terms of white allyship, she's great. She's one, of, she's one okay, of the, cool. the best, in my opinion. Um, but she has this this post on her Instagram, and it goes gendered. Well, the post reads, "What does the term boss babe mean to you?" And her caption says, "Gendered language is tricky, isn't it? We reject police women. It's police officer, please. We cringe at the whole businessmen businesswomen thing. We're all just business owners. And does anyone even say air hostess anymore? No, it's cabin crew. And while I understand that we respect." That a lot of women do find gendered labels like boss babe, girl boss, lady boss, etc., empowering and defiant. I don't. Although these terms can be kind of cute and fun, personally, I find them infant. In- Infantilizing. Wow, I can't say that. Wow, word. that's
0: a big word. I couldn't say that. Infantilizing. Okay. Infantilizing. There we go. Just making it. <laughs> it's like a babying term.
2: Yeah, okay. like infantilizing, patronizing, and exclusive towards non-fem identifying women and other groups of marginalized people. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I'm here for giving women entrepreneurs the platform, support, and inspo we deserve. But the blanket use of girl boss and boss babe in the entrepreneurial space just doesn't resonate with me. So to me, the term boss babe is actually pretty problematic. When you identify as a feminist, you have to recognize that feminine women are not, are not only the people losing out in a patriarchal society. We need to actively include trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming folks in women-centric spaces if we want to start calling ourselves inclusive and progressive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One of the easiest and most effective ways we can do so is through the language we use. So think the next time you address a room as babes, girls or ladies because not all women feel like a boss babe and i'm one of those women so you can just call me boss i like second everything she says there. that
0: is so powerful you know mm-hmm. i was at a conference recently and it was called it was like a mom 2.0 conference in austin and the host repeatedly said men women um like non-i- non-binary or like non-identifying, mm-hmm. like gender identifying. And she kept like saying that over and over and over. And I was like, that's interesting. That's the first time I've heard a host repeat that over and over. By the end of the conference, there was an award show and um, th- there was somebody who won an award. Even now I'm like stumbling. I'm like, I don't know what to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, won an award for like an impact something or other. Um, their name is Amber Leventry or something like that. So she, he came up and started explaining, even then I'm saying she, but I don't know if it's like she or he. Like we, we, it's still such a confusing time.
2: Are they gender non-binary? Yes. So they're they.
0: They're they. Okay, great. Okay. So they go up and are explaining how, um, you know, they felt feminist in one way and masculine in another way and how Mm -hmm. it was really a part of their struggle not identifying with one or the other but yet Mm -hmm. both and they took a moment and they thanked the host for Mm -hmm. saying you know for non-gender identifying folk or look non-binary and i was like holy crap this host knew that there was one person in the room there was thousands of people there Mm -hmm. but they knew that there was one and that's not even explaining that's only the one who's been vocal about it not Mm -hmm. like let alone the whole room that doesn't even know and regardless of what your belief system is regardless of what you feel about that a human is a human is a human and they all deserve the right to feel safe and welcome in that space so the fact that it was a mom's event that they both said thank you for men women and non-identifying I didn't realize what an an impact that made on Mm. One human, but what an impact that made on the room listening.
2: I am not equating one to the other, mm-hmm. but I'm using this simply as an example.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but when we talk about rape culture, mm-hmm. right? And we talk about the importance of re- removing that because how does someone feel if they've had certain experiences if right. they were to hear a joke? Yes. That isn't a joke. Yes. And I think that feeling, I think um, unfortunately, a lot of people might understand either that feeling or know people who have felt that feeling Mm -hmm. and that is a feeling of of discomfort and of anxiety and of like let's remember one in three. yeah
0: yeah, it's one in three um have experienced some sort of a sexual assault exactly in this country one which is terrifying yeah
2: um but if if we were to take that understanding that words or jokes can instill that same fear and that same trigger and that same mm. feeling well when you when you start talking about not including gender. What about the people who are fighting for their gender or to mm-hmm, be seen? Mm-hmm. When you start including things like race and you're talking really to white women, let's say, yeah. what about the folks who feel like they've just been fighting their whole life for their skin tone? Yeah. Like how are they feeling? And what is every single time they're not included in a conversation, how is that something that reminds them that they just don't exist mm-hmm. or that their traumas might be there but it's not valid enough to address?
0: You know, it's funny you even say that and you say like fighting for your skin tone and I'm reminded of Rihanna coming out with Mm -hmm. Fenty Beauty and as a white woman, it's not like, oh, is this have peach undertones or pink undertones? Like Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy for me to go and find a foundation. It's literally like what ones are going to make my pores look like I don't have pores. That seems to be my biggest issue in life. And when Venti Beauty came out and there was this outcry of celebration of women feeling represented in their skin color because there was such a vast majority of shades that Mm -hmm. they finally felt that there wasn't just like one skin tone that was in a darker shade that was supposed to somehow represent like half this population. Like it didn't even, how I never was even aware of that before. And I was like, what a moment that one person comes out with one makeup line and the women are like, holy crap, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you for finally representing my skin shade I've never been able to have my skin tone available in the makeup stores so you know when again going back to like it feels like we're not in a season of change and sometimes it feels like it's a very very long road and we don't always like see it or identify with it people just got to buy makeup for the first time that's like the most superficial thing Yep. but they're no longer mixing colors at home having to buy two, make it themselves like it's crazy
2: absolutely and I'm not the darkest skin tone like I'm I'm
0: you're also a pretty poreless, skin. which whatever, screw
2: <laughs> you. But for the longest time, um, the darkest skin zones were also lighter than me. Yes. And I was like, well, I'm like a dark-skinned or darker-skinned South Asian woman, but what about, there's a lot of folks that are darker skinned yes. than me. Um, but going back to that, um, one thing that I do want to talk about, because I saw this recently and it, like so many people were sharing it and it was amazing and it was this post that was made um, I think you shared it too. I don't I don't remember if you shared it. But there was this post that was like, the person who is a vegan is mm-hmm. trying it. The person who is saving the whales mm-hmm. is trying. The person who is an activist for black folks is trying. And like, not to be so mad at all of them for trying. Yes. And I agree with that, but I want to add one more thing. Do it. I agree that we have to be all, at, like, just empathetic, kind humans mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. But... I think when folks who are really in the pits of their marginalized identities, Mm -hmm. for example, are talking to someone who is a vegan Mm -hmm. who is standing up for... The lives of animals mm-hmm. but you forget to even treat humans of other races mm-hmm.
0: like humans
2: and animals sometimes have more rights mm-hmm. than black folk or indigenous folk mm-hmm. it's really frustrating oh for sure and so I think that while everyone who is doing their own part is doing their own part we shouldn't just say well I'm doing my part and so that's all I can do right and I think that's the, the like the asterisk that needs to be there, it's like, yes, absolutely. Everyone is doing their part. I still don't know every Like, I definitely don't know everything.
0: For sure. Um, like, and- I still use, like, it, it was funny because, like, I remember that post and it was just basically kind of taking the pressure off everybody getting it right all the time. Like, you don't yeah. have to be an activist for every single little thing. Maybe you have a really strong voice in, like, one piece of the exactly. puzzle. But it's so important still to, like, understand and be pay attention to As you're starting to grow, like me right now, this wouldn't have been me a year ago, for sure. Mm -hmm. This is a very, uh, you know what, people listening are probably feeling really like, oh my gosh, this is a lot to take in. Like, I'm not ready for all this change. That's okay. But it's important that we're listening and that we're understanding that, like, humanity at its core needs this. It needs this little bit of, like, just a little bit more education. Not that you're suddenly getting it all right and you're suddenly getting it perfect. Mm -hmm. That part's really hard for me because, you know, I often, you know, get a coffee cup and I will get like, please don't use, like, please use reusable cups. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're right. You're right. You're right. Like, yes, I know. But like, also I'm human. So it's not to say in terms of the language stuff, yes, we're going to have a, it's going to be a learning curve. There are going to be times that we're going to say things and we're like, oop, caught myself. Like, like we do, but that's part of change. It's
2: the, so that's the other thing. It's not the first thought you have. It's the second.
0: Yeah. Right. So
2: sure. You said it and that was your first thought, but what was your second one? Oh, wait. I maybe shouldn't have said that because maybe there yes. was someone in the room listening amazing that is like that is the start of what change looks like and i think that's incredible that's where we should be going um i was totally gonna say something and now i also
0: lost that's okay oh i remember go
2: okay um <laughs> when you say this wasn't you a year ago i mean even what four years ago i remember wanting to i i worked at my university newspaper And I remember wanting to write this opinion article about how I might look brown, but I didn't feel brown. And how I was so I had so much of my own internalized racism that I was dealing with. Like I felt like I was a coconut, so like brown on the outside and white on the inside. And I didn't identify with all of this like brown culture and like just so there's so much that was just internalized that when I really worked through it. Um, Something that I actually realized is I grew up in Mississauga, which is very, very South Asian. Um, And something that I think I internally took is that the more South Asian, I felt like the more South Asian you were in my high school, um, the less academically oriented you were. I mean, the less academically oriented your grades were. And I didn't want that because I was smart and I wanted to go to university and I wanted to uh, be treated with that level of intelligence. So I was like, I don't identify with this because um, these are perhaps the ESL students or like I just see that your grades are lower, Mm -hmm. but certain people are performing higher maybe. Mm -hmm. And so I really associated like removing my culture with being better educated. Yes. And so for a really long time, like that just and that's so wrong. Like I'm saying that out loud, but that's so absolutely wrong. There was so much like internalized hate that was happening in my own skin. And that's only something that's changed in the last few years. That's Mm -hmm. something where I can say now, like being calling myself a coconut is completely the wrong way to look at it, because it's saying that all of these aspects of eloquency or being able to speak or being academic is equated to whiteness oh right and it's not it's i can be south asian and i can choose to practice my culture or not practice my culture and it shouldn't
0: be an assumption
2: and it it shouldn't be an assumption and that's something i'm allowed to decide Mm -hmm. and i am allowed to to be all of that and to be culturally culturally difficult yeah um i think that's the concept of like third cultures there's also this whole wave of a generation that's growing up in the west Mm -hmm. that look different Mm -hmm. that are marginalized because of their skin tones but also have such vastly different cultural experiences because some parts of them are so westernized right some parts of them are so culturally in depth and some people are still also dealing with that that internalization and that rejection because we see how better we perform Um, in society right now when we adapt to Western standards.
0: I mean, okay, so that is like, that unpacked a lot there, that was so good. You know, it's one of those things that, again, coming back to this like feeling of being wrong, Failure is not a bad thing. And I think it's it's constantly a reminder, you know, we I think because we see a lot of celebrities like lose their jobs and stuff over getting something wrong and it makes Mm -hmm. us very scared. And I think that's where a lot of these like root issues come from. You know, we recently saw like Roseanne the show got canceled because of that. We saw Kramer from Seinfeld do a stand up Mm -hmm. bit and he, you know, there was so much public outcry and backlash for what he said and the words he used and and it causes us to be scared so we just become scared and we stop doing anything because we're like our lives are at, or our jobs are at risk or like you know our character is at risk and all of these things but at the end of the day if we're not willing to fail in trying mm-hmm. then we're never going to learn so i'm okay i'm getting there i'm okay with like potentially getting it wrong and potentially yeah like it, absolutely and I think call out culture be.
2: is a little bit toxic
0: I agree it is and that's a new thing to call out culture and also cancel culture just this yeah. idea of like you can't if you're wrong we no longer want you to like be a person who you know exists in this world to make money or have an income like cancel culture is actually incredibly toxic and mm-hmm. And um, it it doesn't allow for personal growth. Who I was and one of the things because a lot of my messaging is around like unlearning diet culture and unlearning Mm -hmm. a lot of like self-hate talk. And that's usually what my content is. So people who are coming on very much expect that now. But I've left all the old posts up. I left mm-hmm. them there because I want people to understand. And, and you know what? You can throw it in my face a million times that I said those words, but the fact is I've changed and I've changed the words and I've changed the language and I've changed the conversations that I'm having and how I'm speaking about myself, my body and other bodies as well. The same thing goes over and over again for all of these different things. We might have been wrong in the past, but mm-hmm. we learn and we evolve as humans. This is not meant to be like, putting people in boxes it's meant to release people and all people out of boxes the fact is a lot of us exist outside of a box already and we didn't realize how many people were already in them that Mm. we didn't realize that there was other boxes that have been closed up for a really long time while we walk freely around them so when we hear things that are like you need to look out for those boxes it makes us feel like we're being put in one but in fact we're just being called to open up those boxes with them not for them but with them that's another language thing that like Recently, I said something about, you know, as somebody with privilege, like using your voice to speak for those who are there. And people are like, no, you're actually not speaking for them. You speak with them. You speak with them. And I was like, oh, yes, you're right. Like, I'm not suddenly their voice. I Mm -hmm. cannot be their voice. I don't exist in their bodies. I don't exist in their lifetime or in their shoes or anything. So it can be really, really tricky. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, we're coming down to the end of our time here, but okay, this is a huge one for me because it happens every single Halloween. I see it happen all the time when people go on vacations and they come home with like corn rolls in their hair Mm -hmm. or even like wearing big hoops or all these different things. And this word cultural appropriation comes up. Mm -hmm. Halloween, it happens. And, you know, little girls dress up like Pocahontas or um, boys and girls are dressing up like Black Panther and they're being called out for, you know, cultural appropriation. And that confuses me because... It, it confuses me because in the one side, I love that children aren't seeing it that way. That they mm-hmm. see it as like, no, like they actually just really love this character. This is who they chose to dress up like. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, is that wrong? Are they being culturally inappropriate by like... Wearing something that could be offensive. I just wanted to check on that because it's honestly so confusing to me. Why certain things? Like, there's a lot of them that make a lot of sense to me, and then others that I'm like, like for instance, what is the? Sorry, I'm going to sound a so bindi. a bindi. If I were to wear that, that would be such a glaringly obvious mm-hmm. cultural appropriation because, like. Uh, It's not really for me to wear. I -hmm. don't even know. I totally understand what it's for. So me to suddenly be like, oh, I love that on you. I'm going to wear that now Mm -hmm. because I think that it's sparkly and cool. and makes you look pretty. (laughs) Like that would be cultural appropriation like at its finest. Absolutely. But then it trickles down the line and like involving children. And like there's every single year I get so disheartened because it feels like this massive battle around the time of Halloween. Um, And I never know where to go with it.
2: So... I think, it's, I think it's an easy opt out
1: to say mm-hmm. that children
2: don't see color mm-hmm. or children don't see race or, or children just don't understand right. because they might not understand then, but they grow up and they understand. And we're, we're creating a society where they will grow up and mm-hmm. they will understand. Mm-hmm. And so I think as parents, um, I'm not a parent, but when I have children, um, I think it's a great starting point of education for them. Cool. And I think to look at it in terms of that, and in terms of understanding, like, maybe your kids find it a cool costume, mm-hmm. um, but what are you doing around that costume? So, for example, um, if, if someone wanted to wear a Black Panther...
0: That um, was a huge one last year, which is why yeah, I brought it up. If
2: you, if you want to wear a Black Panther costume, sure, that's really cool, but maybe you can sit down with your kids and talk about the black panther the the black panther movement
1: Mm -hmm. and what
2: that meant and how it changed society or like who the black panthers were you know there's there's so much that we can do to educate the the group of folks who are growing up and i think it's difficult because we just want to easily say like oh but our, our our kids don't see that and at the end of the day um there are still children who are racialized who are so happy now that they're growing up with folks that they can dress up as, mm-hmm. and how amazing is it that you know they can dress up as folks that look like them? I remember for Halloween in high in in university, sorry. Um, I was so excited to go as Mindy Kaling. I love Mindy Kaling. Oh my gosh, Mindy that's Mindy and I are the costume. same person. You
0: actually look incredibly alike.
2: We we are the same person. She's like two of my tweets, so like we're basically <laughs> best friends. Um, but, you know, it was so cool to have someone yeah. who looked like me, but I felt like embodied me. And it just means so much. I, I think it just means so much to me as a South Asian woman to be able to say, Hey, I want to I want to be her because I can't be her because I look like her. Right. And so there are so many costumes to choose from that are fine. Yeah. You know, if we want to focus on how many you probably shouldn't be if your kid is let's say like not a f- kid of color like whatever it is there are so many costumes that are okay Mm
0: -hmm. um let's have the conversations explain to them why it's maybe special for them not to wear it and maybe it's a great educational moment yeah I think it was huge because growing up people always dressed up in like Native American in like quote-unquote Indian costuming and then suddenly it was like oh wow that's really not okay anymore because there's like this incredible history there yeah. and a lot of disrespect and especially in a country that, you know, it was founded by them and then we came and took mm-hmm. their land and then suddenly dress up like them a Halloween to get candy. And then I get it, I get it, but it's like such an awkward thing to talk about because you're just like, oh my gosh. like I,
2: I think it's just like, if you if you ever made fun of that, or mm-hmm. if you if you don't really take in that's cultural appropriation is like on the there's like a le, like list of activism, and I feel like cultural appropriation is like the least you could do.
0: Yeah, you know,
2: like yeah. cultural appropriation is like the one of the easiest steps to be cognizant mm-hmm. of when. So my partner's um, niece, mm-hmm. she's um, seven. <laughs> I should know that she's seven, and she um, like. Tamil children wear the bindi growing mm-hmm, up. Like mm-hmm. that's like a tradition. But okay. she doesn't wear it to school. She only wears it to Tamil school now. And she only wears it to Tamil school now because like the kids make fun of her because she wears oh a bindi. Oh my gosh. And so it's like she is growing up being called out for something that is a part of her culture. For that sure. let's say she's like 16 and goes to Coachella and sees like people that don't look like her being like, oh my God, that's so pretty. I'm just going to wear this for this one day for this festival. And, like, this is a girl that might have had really negative experiences growing up because of something that is her culture. How does she feel? Yes. And, like, she puts bindi's on all her dolls. You know, like, it's something so inherently part of who she is. And it, like, for me, like, when I realized she doesn't wear it to school, um, it was kind of, like, really hard for me to hear that because, I mean, I didn't grow up wearing it to school because I just knew, like, we don't do that (laughs) because um, people might make fun of you or, like, we just, we try not to be as cultural, yeah to to avoid that
0: let's just try and fit in
2: yeah so if when when folks who are part of those communities try so hard to fit in and take away their culture almost mm-hmm. and it gets erased um because they have to do that to fit in and then you watch them just pick up that culture put it on and then take it off
0: oh that's see, what hurts yeah i can see that it's not even about just being offended it's about no how can I not hurt somebody? Yeah. And that's what it's about. And I think that that's kind of a great way to kind of approach it with kids. It's like, cause it can be, you know, considered like political or activism and stuff like that. And those are really big things for a child to carry. Mm-hmm. But when you explain it in a way of let's not hurt somebody's feelings mm-hmm. that could be hurt by this, it is so great that you love this character and you want to embody them. But like, there are so many other options that we can go with let's go with one of them just so that one person might not be hurt today and i think that that's such a graceful way to approach it and you know i haven't Come across it with like my kids at all. yet yeah, they mostly just want to dress up as like, you know, different things all the time. Like it's it's fine, like they do what they do every year. But you're right, there's so many options. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. And I think we're probably gonna come into it again this year with like Aladdin. Absolutely. Aladdin will be a big one again, and we'll have to have these like same type of like we'll see it, we'll see it go ongoing. But I think that my point to everyone would be instead of feeling like we're just living in an age of being offended, let's actually take a step back and say, Who's being hurt here? Let's not actually talk about it's being offended but it's actually people and children who are being impacted and hurt by us being just a little bit insensitive to you know these these issues
2: absolutely i mean imagine if like what aladdin wears
1: Mm -hmm.
0: let's
2: say like there are still children i'm sure i know that there are still children across canada who wear turbans who Mm -hmm. probably get made fun of that Yes, you know, and and so if someone who does not traditionally wear that decided, oh, but I want to look like someone from the Middle East because I saw it in Aladdin. Mm -hmm. What are you what messaging are you sending to the kids who do wear that every day and still get made fun of it? You know, for sure. So it's really it's I think if you look at it as as a point of education and I think that we've created a really toxic culture of just being like, well, everyone snowflakes. Everyone gets offended it's not, it's, it's not, not that. about that. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's much more than that. And oh, you speak so eloquently about it. And I love it. I've loved this entire uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about you where we can find you. I want everyone to kind of get to know you because your content is actually like, it's funny. Cause you sit here and you have like your activist hat on and you're so good at it, but like you go and look at your feed and you're like, Holy crap. You're actually an incredible creator. You take insanely. Are you a photographer as well?
2: Yeah, so I'm a so, photographer and a videographer full time. That's my jam.
0: It's unreal the work that she does. <laughs> so please, please, please go check it out. Tell everyone where they can find you.
2: Um, so you can find me on Instagram as Just Ask Jenny. That's J U S T A S K and Jenny, like Jenny from the Block. Yeah. Um, and you can find me online there. And I just create a lot of things. I write a lot of puns. That's like really my jam. Really. Really. Oh my gosh. So much, so much puns. But um, I'm also really starting to own my own skin, and that I love
0: that. That was
2: a big thing for me, and that's also only happened in the last year. I used to edit my photos so that I looked lighter.
0: Yeah, I've heard that's like such a thing, right? Colorism is
2: real. Yeah. And that's just something that even for me, I'm unlearning and seeing how that shows up. Yeah. How I can make an impact to start. That chain
0: of influence oh I'm so excited for you I'm so excited for people to get to know you and you know what you're you're such an approachable person so I know that anybody who's kind of struggling with some of these comment some of this conversation and stuff as well like you're a mm-hmm. great person to talk to I know that you have been for me you've allowed me to ask like very misinformed <laughs> questions <laughs> and I'm so grateful to you for that um, thank you for your time thank you for your energy of course
2: and I will say if anybody yeah. does have those questions you are more than welcome to slide into my DMs, ask those questions. I do create that space for myself to do that in healthy and good ways for myself. So Just ask Jenny. She means just it. Just ask Jenny. I do mean <laughs> it. But but do be respectful and understand that I've seen this post around too. Not every person of color is an activist.
0: Yeah. Not every
2: marginalized person has the space to answer absolutely. those questions. I'm inviting you to, but mm-hmm. not everyone
0: don't assume that of everyone. Oh, so perfectly said. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for everyone to go and get to know you. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.